you know what it was? It's, it was it's dedication um, and and like the, the hard work to it. Not not simple hard work. It was like preparing to work and sacrifice when others weren't prepared to do it. It's putting the extra work in. Welcome back to Take Flight for the final time in season eleven. I'm your host Mark Whittle, and I'm delighted to be sharing this episode with you today. Face value, Take Flight is about performance. It's about understanding and learning from the world's best about what practices, habits and philosophies we can subscribe to in order to perform our very best in our daily roles. Whether we're athletes, entrepreneurs or spacemen, I aspire to find the routines that impact performance across the board. But we also talk about purpose. I believe performance and purpose are tightly interlinked. And I also believe performing without purpose won't necessarily bring happiness. Likewise, living with purpose won't bring about higher levels of performance. It's like what Jack Canfield said, author of The Chicken Soup for the Soul Books. Only a small percentage of us even know what we want to do with our lives. An even smaller percentage of that group know how to achieve it. And unless we live with purpose, how many of us are actually happy when we get there? Well, we touch on this today as well as so much more. As I mentioned, sadly, this is the last episode in season 11, our how-to season. We've heard how to be a world-class leader from 2003 Rugby World Cup winning head coach Sir Clive Woodward. We've heard how to create opportunity for ourselves with SAS directing staff Jay Morton. And we've also heard how to overcome any obstacle you face with Britain's greatest ever Olympian, Sir Steve Redgrave. And today, we're hearing how to unapologetically be ourselves in one of my favorite conversations so far. The guest for episode 110 of Take Flight is the legend James Haskell, or Hask as he's often known. Hask is a former international rugby player. He represented England a total of 77 times, which is incredible, making him today the 13th most capped rugby player for England of all time, tied with Matt Dawson, an unbelievable achievement. Hask was also part of the British Lions tour squad that went to New Zealand in 2017. He played his rugby all over the world, starting at Wasps before moving to France with Stade Francais, moving to Japan with Rico Blackrams, and later moving to New Zealand, playing for the Highlanders, before returning to the UK with Wasps. He finished his career at Northampton Saints in 2019 due to injury, ending an outstanding 17-year professional career. Hask is a man of many talents. He's an aspiring MMA fighter, having signed with Bellator MMA in 2019. But sadly, his first profile was postponed due to lockdown restrictions. But he still kept busy as a podcast host for the leading rugby podcast in the UK and in fact the world, The Good, The Bad and The Rugby. He's also a DJ and has recently released his first track, Make You Feel, which is on pre-order now. And he is also recently an author. His first book, What A Flanker, which I had great pleasure in reading during the prep for this episode, was released in October 2020 and became a Sunday Times bestseller almost immediately and deservedly so. In this episode, we cover so much. We talk about conforming and the benefits of conforming versus the potentially negative implications. We talk about taking flight and the courage it took to leave Wasps originally and play his rugby all over the world something he credits hugely for developing him as a player. We talk about dealing with criticism, which it's fair to say he's received huge amounts over the years. We also talk about being a leader and a performer and demanding high standards, not only for yourself, but of others. And of course, we talk about how to be unapologetically yourself, plus so, so much more. Thank you so much, all of you, for supporting Take Flight and continuing to listen. 
If you've enjoyed anything we've done in season 11, I would be incredibly grateful if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple. It goes a long way to getting the podcast recognized and ultimately allowing me to get more and more great guests on the show. But that's enough from me. Without further ado, please enjoy this incredibly special episode with former international rugby player, MMA fighter, DJ, author, and podcaster, a man who walks to the beat of his own drum, Mr. James Haskell. Enjoy. Hask, welcome to the Take Flight Podcast. Hello, mate. How are you? Really well. Yeah, Friday. So uh, it's been a busy week, but yeah, all good, mate. All good. How are you? Well, just keeping shit busy. Oh, I don't know, but I swear, but I have now. Anyway, who cares? Um, just trying to keep busy as always, really. My first house track is out today. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm pre-order today. Um, I've done a couple of presentations this week. Um, I'm just tr- trying to train hard, keep my head on. Um I don't think what else and that's it i'm training my dog who's not very well today but um to fetch and return and trying to knacker him out but other than that mate just the same stuck in the same lockdown vortex like everybody else's yeah you've been busy though haven't you congrats on the the release of the track as well thank you um, thank you i will also say thank you for this because uh it's been absolutely superb um you can see i've, I've got about 50 pages left there um your book what a flanker so yeah mate it's brilliant i bet you enjoyed I've writing been- it I mean, yeah, I loved it. Listen, I've been blown away by kind of the response to it. It's bizarrely, it's going to sound a bit wanky, but it's kind of my fourth fourth book, but the one that I enjoy more than anything because the other ones were kind of health and fitness and body transformation plans. And this is uh, this has been mega. And um, the feedback I've sort of been really blown away by, you know, for it to become a Sunday Times bestseller was, was cool. I've got another book deal off the back of it, which is great, um, which will mean that hopefully I will um, – you know, get make a few people, more people laugh. And it kind of happened quite nicely actually during lockdown because one of the interesting things for me is that so many people who don't read are reading it um, and sort of saying, oh, you know, I haven't read a book since I was 10. Um, you know, and that's for me is quite important. And I also think the fact we've got um, an audio book as well. So for people who are super lazy, but for some reason, you, I don't know why they'd want my, my voice in their head, but apparently they do. No, I think it's good. G- given you've got podcasts as well, it's a natural transition, isn't it, for people who are listening to you on on the podcast to to get the information there as well. Yeah, I mean, look, the, in the podcast stuff, it's interesting. I mean, everybody's now sort of doing the doing the podcasting and really getting into it. I, um, you know, we had an original podcast um, uh, called House of Rugby, and then we, we you know, then we left that and we started a new one called um, The Good, The Bad, The Rugby, um, and that's kind of gone really well, and, and that's changed a lot of people's perceptions about me, which was great. And then I uh, I did someone one with my wife called Couples Quarantine, and then we kind of do I do one called What a Flanker based on the book, which is actually really nice. It's kind of my attempt at a very poor man's attempt at doing what Joe Rogan does, just trying to interview people that I'm interested in and fascinated in. And uh, we've got some brilliant guests for series two. We've got Carl Cox coming on, we've got Jack Whitehall, Jimmy Carr. And obviously I'm gonna try not to fanboy over all of them, but I can't promise. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. That that's actually the one that I listen to more than the others is your what a flanker one. Um so this is actually the final episode in season eleven of Take Flight. So you'll be Bloody there. hell. Season eleven. Yeah, I know I started nearly four years ago. So turn it up, mate. Season eleven. <laughs> and you're finishing with me. What the hell what the hell, you know, surely you could have got someone better, couldn't you? No, you're brilliant, mate. I've been wanting to talk to you for ages. So um well look, you know going down that path this is called take flight for a reason it's about performance and helping people to reach high levels of performance we also talk about how people can feel more 
purposeful in their life because I think the two are very closely linked. But there's also a more literal meaning of of taking flight, which is that leap of faith. And and a lot of the times that is linked to I think like being yourself and following what you feel was the right thing for you. And you were saying your podcast has been great for allowing people to understand the real you, you know, getting a different perspective of, of who you are. And that's what I got from reading the book. And I was really, really impressed by some of the things that you did. As an example, going to France and playing France, right? And then going to Japan and going to New Zealand and just walking a completely different path to the traditional English rugby player. So I suppose to start with this way, if we if we dive in there, I'd love to hear about that decision-making process, actually what made you do it. Yeah, I mean, look, I've always been kind of a, a firm believer in um, if you were to, if I was to drop dead tomorrow, I would always want to have given everything my best shot. Um, I don't I don't believe that this is dress rehearsal, and I'm sure you've got some super religious people who listen to this podcast who think they're going to come back as like a penguin or they're going to go to a you know um, the paradise or heaven or you know maybe we're going to have multi lives or it's multi dimensional. I'm pretty sure it's not. And I'm pretty sure this is all you, you all you're going to get. And I think so much of what what we do is driven by fear and concern for other people's opinions. And you know, and, and there's kind of a few, few different people in life. There's the sniper who work, you know, who waits for the perfect shot. Who spends all their time lining it up, checking the wind, and you know, fires once every now and then. Then you get the mad bloke, probably a bit like me, who's got a mini gun, who's just shooting everything, spraying everything, doing everything. Um, and then you sort of got the more calculated people. And normally, the more calculated people are kind of. Uh, the, the most successful um, and I decided that you know once my contract was was up and I was getting messed around just to broaden my horizons and just speak to other people and I kind of came across um, you know I was made an offer by Stade Francais and I, dis- I discovered that I was you know I could go and live in Paris um, you know I'd, I'd traveled but you know not to that extent I'd been kind of quite institutionalized um you know i had very kind of close relationship with my parents i I never lived abroad um and you know the opportunity to go and play with some of the best french players in the world some of the best italian players in the world and argentinians to live in a different city to get paid good money to do it uh everyone criticized me told me not to do it and yes did i have moments of like real self-doubt you know when when the media are calling for you you know and saying you're money grabbing and all these other things yes but actually it was the best decision i ever made because i I backed myself and went and went and did it. And it taught me a lot about myself, you know, whether I was going to, you know, bow down to pressure. Could I dig in? Was I going to be as professional as I could be? Because France is amazing. The French are brilliant people, but they're not as professional. They certainly weren't at that time as, as the UK clubs. Uh, and that meant that I had to maintain my standards because, you know, if you go for the standards of the, of the slowest man, you know, you're going to fall short. And that was really important for me. Um, and it's just been the same kind of motto to that I've always had in life is to really kind of branch out to, to try and explore things purely because I want to be the person in the room that's had stories. that's had, you know, life experience that's done everything I can do. And I think we each get blessed with talents and some people have limited talent. I think pretty much like myself, but if you work hard, work with a plan, seek out good people who you aspire to be like, um, ask for their help, you know, are self-aware enough to to take criticism. You're always going to get on. And, and that's what my story's been. And, you know, once I'd tasted a bit of a journey in France, I was like, why would you not want to go and try and play in Super 15? You know, that's only one player I knew had done that. I wanted to do it. You know, I took absolutely you know zero cash to go and do it, but it was a chance to go and live in New Zealand, you know, in, in, in the South Island, in a little house on the sea in St. Clair. Like, why would you not want to do that? Um, and I went there on my own. I went to France on my own. Um, and then, 
you know, to do the New Zealand gig, you have to have something because of the different times of the of the seasons. A Japan sort of thing in the middle to fill the gap. And you know, I went I went and lived in Tokyo for six months and got to play and and you know rode around a little bicycle like a lot of the Japanese and got to explore and got on the bullet train and two hours later in Kyoto or or uh, Kobe or wherever it was and it, it it was just some of the best days of my life and the only problem with all these things is I don't regret anything but you just you have to appreciate how rare those moments are and live it and live actually in the moment and it's a hard thing to do because you know a lot of people when, when rugby boys go on tour for example so they go on tour in Australia you know they get there and they start missing their family missing their kids which is fine which is the, you know which is a natural human instinct but my concern with it is, is that spend all your time wishing to be home and not not enjoying what you should have at the moment and that's kind of the way i've always approached things yeah that's massive I, yeah the presence thing is is so key isn't it you miss those things and you might enjoy it on reflection be like oh that was a really good tour or that was a really good holiday or whatever it was but if you weren't there actually in the moment now i can't you know like i can't buy people like when i did i'm a celebrity you know, got the jungle and everyone just wants to go you know go home or get out and finish it i was like no you know yes obviously when it got appallingly boring and um they weren't feeding you that kind of mental you know um toughness is, is hard to get through but actually the rest of it it was a great opportunity it's a tv show you're being paid to be on tv to do stuff like you know it was fun and, and people going oh, i can't wait to be out there oh god it's so hard it's like nah You've been paid on a TV show. They ain't going to kill you. Um, just get get on with it. And I think that's, for me, my kind of motto to, to, to what I do and, and how I am. Um, and I think it's really important. And it, but it means that you have to get that balance right because you if you constantly live in the moment, which I do. You never get overexcited for stuff, but you equally don't get too down about stuff. But it means that, you know, like my partner, my wife, Chloe, you know, she she's always really upset. That I don't get super psyched about something because she always needs a goal to look forward to. I don't. I just wake up plan what I'm going to do today, do a to-do list and go. She needs a goal in the future. And she's like, we're going to, you know, we're going to Dubai. And, and, and I'm like, are we? Like, and she goes, yeah, you booked it. I was like, yeah, I mean, I haven't really thought about it. But you know, what is, what's your most exciting thing? What are you mo- most looking forward to? I'm like, I'm not looking forward to it. I just, when I'm when I'm on the way to the airport and we're going and I'm in like a holiday mode, that's when I'll give it conscious thought. But it's no, it's, there's no point giving it thought until it's actually a thing. That's interesting, House, because I, I feel like a lot of the people I speak to, especially from the sports world, right, they're, they're drilled and trained to think about either the weekend or future events or, you know, you know, winning the premiership or whatever it might be. So I just think it's really fascinating that you, you've been able to not be conditioned by that and be very present. I wonder how you've managed to do it. Is there anything you do specifically? Oh, look, I, I always spent time working with a sports psychologist, probably from the age of 17 to 35, an amazing lady called Dr. Jill Owen. And I, I went to see her because I didn't have a lot of um, a confidence issue. Self-confidence was a real was a real problem, even though it didn't. people couldn't compute that because I was always like gobbing off and standing up and doing presentations and talking to people. People you know, wouldn't think you would have self-doubt. Or, and, and also because of that, people don't compliment you because they think, oh, he's so far up his own ass. He doesn't need to be given... Um, kind of uh you know compliments or whatever and i went to see her and one of the things we worked on was just living in the moment was um you know taking care of business yourself and we live in a, a, a quite a heavy excuse-based culture now and the worst thing about excuse-based culture is we've now got a load of fuckwits who are like cheerleading like mediocrity and excuses and that's why people don't get on in life because because the worst thing you can do and sometimes it look I love having, I call it a sappuccino, like a cappuccino, but sappuccino, sapping, i.e. just like moaning about everything. Like there's nothing better than sitting down with the lads and going, fucking hell, the coach is shit. 
training shit, you're shit, everything's shit, I can't be bothered. There's not like people, like humans like doing that, we like moaning and whinging, but the worst thing you could do with it is is actually they're not doing anything else to just sit there moaning and negative but the problem we've got ourselves into now with all this kind of things is is that we you know you walk into a room and someone's like oh you know so has been horrible to me you know if they said i'm fat or whatever and it's like yeah but you are fat like so you know you are like don't don't like you can't hide behind it you you are but we don't do that we go oh you're shaming this person you're shaming that person or or so and so's got an opinion like oh you're wrong but we're just conditioning people to accept mediocrity. We're just saying that, you know what, it's okay to be shit. It's okay to be average. It's okay to be unhealthy. It's okay to be moany. It's okay to be lazy. Um, and what you need to do is have people that are going to tell you how it is. Uh, but you also need to have the ability to recognize that yourself. And, and there's a great motto. I keep saying the word motto, but there's a great thing that I follow uh, that my dad told me early on. Um, and he's not always the best person to follow advice from, but this kind of stuck with me was, was you can lie to everyone else, but you can't lie to yourself. And how many people walk and complain about their relationships, complain about their lives, complain about their body. And they, t- they say to people, oh, I'm, you know, I'm hardly a thing. You're like, well, you, you, you must have, you, of course you have like fucking that. How do you think you got that big? Like, you know, you know, eat, like someone the other day I was talking to said, Oh, they were, um, they were only eating vegetable soup. And I was like, like, ha- like, there's no way you're eating vegetables. So, like, it's impossible. Due to, even to calories, there's no way you're doing that. But we tell these little lies, and then we have people around us who 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 make it okay to lie and to be, you know, and to get away with stuff. And what you need in life is sometimes someone to go, oh, poor you, but then you need other people to go, listen, let's be a straight talker. And I learned pretty early on through dealing with being present that, you know, if you want to make a success of yourself, you have to you have to work on yourself. You have to make yourself accountable. If you didn't train and you didn't perform, it's your fucking fault. If you've got no money, it's your fault. If you don't like your life, it's your fault. If you don't like your body, it's your fault. And there is nobody out there that's going to, like, ride over the hill on a white night and go, oh, my God, here's a million quid. Here's the body you want. Here's the life you want. We're so sorry for any convenience, of course. No, you're just going to stay miserable. And I think um, – it's something that I really pride myself on. And I'm not impervious to moaning. I'm not impervious to having bad days. I have moments where I'm like, you know, fuck, what am I doing in my life? What's this? This is shit, lockdown shit. But then I quickly go back to my mind thinking, right, what can I control? What can I actually look after? Okay, I can, you know, I could probably d- launch this podcast. I could write this. I could do this. I could eat better. I could make better choices. I could have some discipline. But you know, imagine I was surrounded by people that just went, no, it's okay. Have another chocolate cake. Have another drink. Have another smoke. You know, have a, have another whatever it is. And and that's the problem is we and now we've got people in the media and people on, online just championing all this shit, going to like. You know, I sound like I'm attacking fat people. I'm not because it's, it's the most extreme version. You're putting really unhealthy people on the front covers of magazines going, oh, you know, it's just so good. It's so good, like body empowerment. No, no, you're confusing the two things. If someone, like, is very comfortable with how they are and they're, like, obviously an extreme, so extremely thin or uh, eating the sort of thing or extremely thick or extremely big, I'm really happy that you're happy about how you look. That's great. But let's not put it as a blueprint and go – this is, you know, aspire to be like this because they're unhealthy. People go, how do you know they're unhealthy? I was go, because you can see they're unhealthy. Like you can see, like it's like that woman from the chase. The um, the woman, you know, she got all her tests done and said she's really healthy. No, no, she's she's obese. She's going to have visceral fat around her, around her, around her organs. She's not going to be very well. Uh, and it's going to lead to later later in life complications unless you do it. Same thing if you're super, if you're, if you're under eating, anorexic, bulimic, you know, if you are smoking and drinking in excess and all this kind of stuff, all these things are going to, you know, have it. It's a bit like putting a crack addict on a mag- in front of a magazine and a crack addict going, 
I'm just really comfortable. I'm a crack addict. Everyone going, oh my God, you're so brave. Well done. But they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. So, and that, and that's how stupid we are. And people just go, no, oh, don't be mean to crack addicts. It's fine. You're a crack addict. He's trying. Yeah. He's trying all the fucking crack. He's not trying anything else. I think it's, do you know what's jumping out at me there is you started that by saying you struggled with your self-confidence <clears throat> as a teenager. Yeah. And the number one way to develop your self-confidence is by keeping promises to yourself and having that yes. discipline. And I think that where where a lot of what you've just said there comes from <clears throat> yeah, is is because when you do that for yourself, your, your bullshit detector is then incredibly high. Yeah. So, so <clears throat> that's all right. So you can see, you know, when other people are, aren't perhaps as disciplined as, as, yeah. as you are. That's, well, that's um, the thing. And, we, and, and do you know what? It's not... A lot of times, sometimes this advice online, this self-help stuff, it, it takes away the human element. You know, the human element is we are weak. We do give in. We do have bad days. We're entitled to have bad days. And men in particular, you know, this all kind of bravado factor that we don't talk about our problems. We don't have bad days. And we just tell our mates we're fine. And we're absolutely falling to pieces. You know, it's it's madness. And you are right. You know, the bullshit detector is is, is big. But it, it, I think it's where people pretend they're impervious, you know, to it. Where I, I you know, I make mistakes all the time and have bad days or, or good days or have moments of weakness. Um, but it's being a, how, how quickly to be able to go and address that, like you said, with the self-discipline. And um, I think also it's the sporting background. You know, a lot of people in – if you just go to a normal public gym, a lot of people don't know how to train. They don't know how to train. They don't know how to train hard. And they don't know what suffering is in, in respect to kind of putting your body through stuff or, or testing yourself. So – you know, and also they don't, they don't understand doing that in a team environment where you're, you're accountable for each other. Where if you let your teammate down, you know that's bad. If you don't toe the party line, that's bad. If you if you think you're above the team, that's bad. Most people in life don't have that. We're kind of quite individual, individualized, and that's why you always see it on those kind of TV shows. So even like I'm a celebrity, you know, pe- people are late, like you can't. If I was like I was in a team on on um, I'm a celebrity, or I should, sorry, I, if I was. If I acted uh, as if I was in a team on I'm a Celebrity, I would have um, I would have told a few people to fucking sort it out. Like, you know, and we would have, because like, you would have just had a meeting gone, you're not doing this, you're not doing that, you're lazy, you don't stop moaning, you're negative, you're affecting the team morale, you know, all you do is this, 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 but you don't, you don't, um, you don't do that because on TV, because real world people can't handle real talk because it breaks people. And, you know, and I'm not saying you should always need to be harsh, but you, you need to understand that. And I think that's what separates, you know, sports people or, or people who've committed to things and, and some, you know, successful individuals just appreciate that often you're, you have to be more than yourself. And a lot of people in real life don't do that because they just go to work and they're part of a team in the office, but they don't really give a shit about the office. They don't really care about the job and they, they, they don't really have, a, they don't have their own self-discipline, but no one's pushing them on it. Mm. I remember Kobe Bryant used to say leadership's a lonely place just because of that. Because if you're, you're the one who's got to probably say things that people aren't wanting to hear, and Mate, you know, of course, confrontation and all that as well. Of course, um, we can we cut, you know, like you've got to call people out. You've got to call mm. people out. I mean, listen, you know, you see, you've got Jordan's picture behind you, yeah. you know, on the last dance. You know, not, not one of those blokes said that. Um, Jordan was a good lad, was a lovely person, was like, oh my god, best mate. They said. The, one of the best to ever do it, one of the toughest leaders, one of the toughest competitors. And you know that he he, he did that and he wasn't interested about making friends. He was interested in, um, you know, really setting standards and, 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 and brave leaders and good leaders are prepared to call people out. The best leaders can call people out, but, but understand in what ways to do it. You know, it's not just about 
you know, throwing a load of fucks into someone in front of a load of people. It's understanding, you know, how does that bloke tick? You know, so do I need to say this one-on-one? Do I need, you know, do the carrot? Do I need the stick? Do I need to approach it differently? Do I need to talk to a mate? And, you know, do I need to, as a team, do I need to address it in an aggressive manner? Do I need to, like, you know, suggest an idea so they come up with it? There's so many nuances that, that a lot of people just don't forget. And they 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 see certain players, like this current cut, cut of players in the England squad at the moment. Everyone's like, they should be captain. They should be captain. You're like, no. You don't know what you're talking about because just because they're the best player, they would not make a very good captain. But the people don't understand it because they don't know what leadership actually is. Yeah, and man management, understanding individuals, everyone's unique in the way that they learn, get motivated. I think I'd love to talk a little bit more about the self doubt and your travels in a moment. But while we're on this subject, I was really impressed with the way you spoke in your book about it was your assessment actually of um, Stuart Lancaster and how he had the Bill Walsh book tucked under his arm his entire coaching period in England and I actually um just for a bit of context I played football in America for a period and my coach was from Manchester and he did the same thing with Alex Ferguson's book and he just used to bollock me and I was a player who needed an arm around the shoulder yeah yeah yeah. um, it's I still have I still have a bit of bitterness about my experience and my time over there still now but I just thought it was so fascinating to hear that viewpoint you know one of the best rugby teams in the world one of the best players in yourself in the world and a coach there that's trying to bring people together and make it work. And he's, he's still leaning on this book and and not looking outside of this manual, as you said, in the book, you know, far outdated from a different sport, different yeah. culture, different, different group of people. So there's yeah, no just fascinating. Yeah. There's no one, there's no authenticity. So look, there are always people that have done what you want to do and have done it better. And there's always people to aspire to, to, to be. And, but what you've got to understand is, is that, Anyone who's recounting any story, um, you know, I think like look at Tom Brady is a really good example. You know, seven seven rings, right? He, you know, he's obviously turned into and has subsequently learned like methodologies on how to do that. But you know, where, where he started, he was a skinny kind of irrelevant guy, and it could have gone either way. Like it could have gone either way. You know, there's a lot of chance. There's a lot of like, you know, things that could have happened that could have been very differently. When people go back and sort of describe, or he would say he was doing an autobiography, you're not going to turn around and say, I, you know, half some of this stuff was chance and I just guessed and I did it. It's all got to be part of like the wrist rich tapestry of how he did it. And everything's kind of sexed up a little bit and, and everything else. It's the same thing with like Bill Walsh, you know, interesting enough, because I read that book is that the first part, his win record was exactly the same, I think, or near enough. The, the the same as the bloke who got thrown out the year before, right? So he could have just been fucked out of it and gone and and gone out. You know, I'm not not involved anymore. But the, the, the management, for whatever reason, stuck with him. And then subsequently, those following years, he won those you know four Super Bowls in three years or four you know back to back in the dynasty, uh, whatever it was. Um, and, and it made a big difference. But when you're recounting it, you know, he's talking about you know. I used to go around hammering everyone for not tucking their shirt in because it was about standards. You know, if they weren't going to do the attention to detail on the small things, then they weren't going to bother about the big things, you know, and, and Stuart Lancaster was great, but he, he was trying to apply a model onto people without taking the people into account. And that's the problem It's a different era, different generation, different people, different freedoms, different, you know, everything about it was different, but you can take ideas. So you can take the idea of like maintaining standards. That's great. Um, you know, but you, you need to see what's in front of you and interact. And what he forgot was, was that the people are the most important thing in that, in that organization. And that, you know, interesting enough, what people don't talk about with Bill Walsh's book is that they fucking hated him. The players hated him so much so that they they like um, he actually called them up before he died to apologise to a lot of them for how they treat. They hate it and they won the and they won the Super Bowl after he left 
just to like almost to um to to show him that it wasn't down to him. They didn't like him that much. And I think sometimes in, you know, we talked about Jordan, you don't have to be friends with everyone. And I didn't expect Stuart Lancaster to come in out having tea, but just you know, if you're so task focused and you have the goals and objectives, but you forget the people, you forget the balance, you know, how important the cognitive development of your your players are and their well-being. Um, and just things like how he interacted in the squad was just it just wasn't right, you know. And also, you know, you can't talk about leadership and don't put leaders in there. And if you fill the squad with full of, you know, what I describe as vanilla thrillers, guys who are like really conformist that looked, you know, great in a shirt but had nothing about them. That doesn't breed success. You need to have strength of character to manage the maverick people, to encourage uh, diversity, but also um, know to know when to be in charge. And, and I just think you can't follow someone else's plan to the letter, but you can take ideas of like, you know, for example, Bill Walsh, when he came into the organisation, he cleaned everybody out that was to do with the old regime. So I can understand that. You know, you don't, you know, if I was to take over the coaching, would I want anybody that had been there before maybe not purely because i mean some for some people it's useful because you want to um capture the heritage of what the club was about before you came involved into it which is sometimes important but actually you know i don't want people talking in dark corners who've been in two regimes you know because if someone survived a load of regimes what why are they surviving is it because they're all things to all men is it because they've got like machiavellian plots in the background you know will they will they knife you like they knife the bloke before you it's a bit like um I'm trying to think what I was what, what movie I was watching recently. Oh, I tell you what, was, you know the uh, the morning show. I don't know if you've yeah. seen the morning show with um with Jennifer Anderson and uh, Steve Carell. Unbelievable, really good, like credible. Yeah. yeah, I'm like really good. It's quite uh, f- uh it's quite heavily about feminism in, in in a place, and it's basically a rip off of um not rip off. It's basically the example of a uh, Matt Lauer, who was American presenter, who got done for. Not sex, basically not sexual assault. He was just drilling loads of girls, uh, well, women, but, but utilizing his power. And it was basically the abuse of power. He never did anything wrong, but he also didn't do anything right. And it's about that. And it's interesting, someone in there tries to, you know, get rid of the, the, the current person in charge to do it. And sort of, I said to Chloe at the time, I said, do you not think the bloke that he's trying to help out is going to go hold on a minute? If you did that to him and you've been working there for 20 years, what's to stop you doing it for me? I'd let him help me. And then he'd be the first person I'd fire. And I think with like, you know, with, with Stuart, he, he, you know, he cleaned out everybody, which was fine, but he didn't get the balance right of his coaching staff. He didn't appreciate that he was quite unapproachable. And then he filled the other coaching staff with other unapproachable people. Uh, and then, you know, so you, you understand that some players like me, like from you, from the sounds of it, need an arm around you. There was no one to put an arm around you. And that, that was, you know, that was tricky. Mm. Yeah. I mean, something you talked about there was conforming, right? And, you know, clearly from your journey, you've not been one to conform. I've had Jay Morton on who, <laughs> it's fine like that. I had Jay Morton on who I know was on your podcast as well. Yes. Uh, Eddie Hearn, um, Ollie Ollerton, another SAS uh, who does wins DS, like all these people and, and a bunch of others, because this is kind of the theme of this show. None of them conform and disagree with, with, with conforming. And that's why I left the corporate world. I was in the city working there to, to do this full time. I'd just be interested to hear how being a non-conformist has benefited you? What have you got from that? Uh, you know, I'm not intentionally a non-conformist because I think sometimes people, you know, they're, they're like, oh, you know, I don't, I, I work outside the boundaries. I'm difficult. I think it's not about that. I, th- I think for me, it's about having an opinion, um, 
being constantly aware that you need to self-develop. So, so you know, if you're uh, if you're outside the bounds or a bit of a rebel and you just can't grow and you're just stubborn in your ways and, you, and you're outside of it, just you're nonconformist just because you're an asshole or you're difficult. That's not the way to be. I think if you, you know, I I've done things that I think I'm I'm inherently selfish, like a lot of sports people are. So I've done what I felt suited me. But I've also done it with an open mind to to develop myself, to know that I'm far, far, far from the finished article and that I could always get better. And, and I split my life up into loads of different areas that can get better, whether that's your, your diet, your nutrition, your, your public speaking, your, your podcasting, your filming, whatever it is, you can always improve. Um, and I think for, for me, I, I just ended up having an opinion, stuff, stuff that I felt strongly about I would have an opinion on, stuff that I wasn't that interested in um, I would back away from. But I always did it with the spirit of, of my team first. And I wanted to enjoy life. And I didn't understand why people were so objective why, or so find it so difficult to comprehend why you could have a personality, why you could appear on a t- talk show, travel here, dress like this, do whatever, uh, you know, broaden your horizons and still be a rugby player. And you know what? Still be a professional and do be dedicated. And I think it's just lazy from people, people, because you don't fit the mold. Cause like how, you know, like I had so many coaches, like how can you be doing this, this, and this and still be super dedicated and professional. And it's just, that was that was difficult for me, and I've subsequently become like that. Uh, and actually, it's in retirement, I've just had more freedom. I've just been able to do more, you know, say more. And I truly believe as well, that if common sense, which we've sort of lost a lot in the world, dictates that what you're saying is correct, and there's an element to it, and you know, you've got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. And you know, that's why I would never be in government because you are damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And we've now gone into the world where we're taking into account everybody's opinion. And if you've if you've met everybody. Like a lot of people, like if the average IQ in the UK is 100, that's the average. Like there is a load of people underneath that. And it's like, yeah, I'm not sure that interests anyway. I don't think we need to know what, you know, Colin, number 25, thinks about this news story because I don't think Colin knows where they're part. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. And, I, and I've just always tried to be like that and tried to have that common sense and tried to be a good, a good team man first and foremost. But equally, you know, don't sit with have coffee with the lads. Go to London. Go to do some work stuff. Accept that offer to do a TV thing. Write a book. You know, do create content, whatever it might be. You know, do people are like, oh, you're not going to DJ? Well, I now I open for Craig David and Ibiza. I was like, okay, I've done that. People, are, oh, you're not going to be. I did that. You know, oh well, we're not sure you can do that. I was like, well, if you tell me I can't do it, I'm just going to go and do it anyway. Yeah, um, accepted. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, it's challenging. But I also, yeah, it, it does mean you you make mistakes and you try things, business opportunities and stuff that just aren't going to work. And, and you know, if you just rush into stuff, but that's how I've always been. Um, and it, and it, it does get you into trouble. And if I had been much more conformist. I think I may have been more successful in certain areas, but I wouldn't have been myself. And do you know what? I wouldn't have been able to keep the charade up for long enough. That's the problem. You know, that I would not have been able to keep pretending that I'm something that I'm not. And that's that's one thing to always consider, you know. That's absolute gold, mate. I love that. And why would we want to be anything other than ourselves? That, people you know, do. People are, you know, it's like people yeah. always, you know, like if, if someone says to you, you have to fit in, you have to be like this, you know, it's fine. But you're going to get caught out immediately. That's why I always like these celebrities and stuff. It's like my wife always says to me, she goes, if you were less controversial, and I'm not saying I'm controversial like I, you know, not like Katie Hopkins controversial or like I'm not a secret racist or anything like that. If, but if I was less, so I didn't swear as much, or I was more, I was more conformist, I think I'd be further along. I think I'd be more successful. Like, you know, we have the biggest rugby podcast in the UK and in the world, really. We do a lot of sporting stuff. I know rugby's a minority 
sports, but we, um, I get no mainstream work really, none, none at all. You know, and we get we get more people watching the, or listening to, and watching the podcast than than you get for a normal Premiership game, but we don't get any work because I think I'm seen as controversial. A lot of people don't know what's going to come out of my mouth, um, and not that not in like a you know, I'm a, like a rebel or I'm not calculated. Because the worst thing is I actually know 99% of the time what I'm saying, but sometimes I don't give a fuck because it's going to get a laugh or it's going to make, you know, it's going to be interesting and it's tr- what I truly believe, then I'll say it. But we don't want that now. We're, and we now got into such a corporate world where everybody's chasing their tails, panicking. So you, so I do a post. I did a post for um, Amazon. Right, we did a, a funny thing for us campaign where I pretend it's been Amazon delivery driver, right? And... Uh, we filmed it. Basically, I went and visited the other guys from the podcast houses, and I was dressed as an Amazon uniform and an Amazon fan. Obviously, they don't have vans and, and, and uniforms, but it was a whole funny skit because they were they were streaming the Autumn Internationals that have just gone. And the feedback in the room, and you know now where we live in a room of like twenty corporate people, and they get they get a video, and some they all feel like I got to have an opinion instead of just going, "Do you know what we really like it?" The feedback came back from this this thing, and you know that this was just somebody fucking pulling something out of our ass. Went, "Oh look." we really like it and it's brilliant but we just um think it might be a little bit too serious we're a bit concerned that people might think james actually works for amazon that was the feedback <laughs> and you're like the, you're what what do you like how I, I i was wearing my hat like the guy from off the buses like the side like um i can't think what um like, I can't what his name is now like, there's that, that eight, eight half hot mum or whatever it is one of those fucking frank spencer i look like frank spencer right delivering amazon packages to like uh, my uh, my co-fellow co-host alex payne's house which is actually jamie jamie dornan's mansion like, all this kind of stuff was like set up and that was the feedback and we were just like fuck off like we did, we're putting it up there and when i put it up there you know people were like if you get one negative comment like take it down you're like no if you ask a room of 100 people a question you're going to get at least 60 different answers and they get answers to questions you didn't even ask so stop worrying about stuff like big brands are like oh as soon as you put anything out they're like oh it's been a bit negative comment like i did this thing about mcdonald's and grenade my my sponsor are brilliant but they were like oh you know you've been asking to keep gyms open and you've also been promoting um fast food and it's like sorry what are you what you can't do both and it's not, what uh, <laughs> fast food makes you fat does it like just all this kind of stuff and it's the fact that people were panicking and i looked at their page five people but online five sound like 500 and even personally you do a hundred comments you know a thousand comments you look at it you get two negatives like oh maybe maybe i should take it down like my, my wife I, I, i'm aware i'm talking a lot but my wife posted something a picture of her yet of her and her dad yesterday and her dad's uh, obviously richard madeley out of richard and judy off the tv and and, so, and like she posted it and um, she said, oh, I'm missing my dad, right? Or something like that. And someone put underneath it, oh, you know, good to see you missing your mum as well. And it's like, <laughs> are you fucking serious? Like, and, and, and if that was a company, people go, oh, negative. Maybe I should have put a picture up of my mum. It's like, but people are perpetually offended. There is a gang of people who are professionally offended and we don't need to worry about them. We don't care. They are the same people that set up uh, accounts and comment on newspapers online. I guarantee this. If you could press a button now, and anybody who'd ever commented commented on a newspaper died, boom, the world would be, I reckon, about fifty percent better overnight. The intelligence level would go through the roof. Negativity would go down. Trolling would go down. It would be possible. Like, like go on the Daily Mail online. Look at the comments. Like it's just, mate. They are toxic, toxic, toxic pond scum. Yeah, it's why I don't read the media to be honest. But look, I think. Hask, I think for me, when I read the book particularly, right, if I if I think about the new perspective it gave me of you, 
I already was an admirer of what you'd done as a, as a player. And oh, uh, come on, you, hey. It's <laughs> so nice to me. <laughs> no, honestly, mate, it's you know British Lions, and I think for me more that more so though it was the it was the traveling abroad and playing playing abroad. So when I talk about being a non-conformist. It's things like that, going and playing in different clubs. It's things like seeing Stuart Lancaster with Bill Walsh's book under his arm and not just taking his leadership advice, going, I'm going to fucking read the book myself and see why why this is playing out like it is and and having an opinion. Because I think, you know, I've, I've had so many professional athletes from Super Bowl winners to Premier League winners to world champion boxers and their their voices are oppressed. I mean, from from all of them, if any of them are allowed to have a voice, it's boxers, but they're, they're encouraged to be anything but themselves to, to yeah. try and sell tickets. But um I think you know you, you stood out as a as someone who who almost refused to have their their voice oppressed. So yeah, just I just think it's great that you did do that. But also interested, you said it, you would have been more successful. Do you mean as a player? Do you mean I, I just I, no, I don't think I would. Have, I don't think I could have made much more of my career. I just mean that I would have had more media opportunities. I would have been uh, seen as more palatable. I may have had a, you know, a few more caps you know, for stuff, just, just because my face would have fitted better. I would have been seen as somebody that, um, you know, was more trusted. And I, you know, and I just, I don't know, uh, because I, I, I have this infectious desire to enjoy life and have fun. Like, And I relish those moments of like being in a team and chatting shit. And I'm not a prankster, I did, you know, because that you start along that path and, you you know, you stitch yourself up for life. But I would, you know, we, we would sit around enjoying stuff, have fun, take the piss, take the piss out of coaches. You know, everybody was going to, everyone's get hammered. And just some people just can't stomach that really. And I, and I think, um, you know, as I said in the book, you know, I was meant to be, you know, I was kept kind of on, you know, I felt not, I felt not valued. I felt not part of the squad. I felt like they weren't really interested. I felt like I was on borrowed time. Oh, and then by the way, can you come and amuse all the troops when, when we've lost and we're all out of it and stuff. And it's like, well, you know, I can, cause I fucking love attention, but I, but <laughs> the point is you can't, you can't like lock me away in a cupboard and say that I'm like, you know, don't, don't bring him out. Don't offend anyone. You know, we don't know what you're going to do. Just keep it down. Oh, and by the way, could you stand up and do a presentation? And stuff like that. And then, you know, and then when they ask you to do a presentation, they'll have the reaction like, oh, you might have gone a bit too far. You're like, I asked, like, don't ask me to do something unless you want to expect what's going to happen. Like, you know, um, and but look, I, I, I'm not bitter about this things because I, because I said I, I've been true to myself. I just think that, you know, the, the fat, like fans in the media, they want somebody that they can control and calm. That's why I admire, um, you know, for certain aspects, obviously, like, you know, Floyd Mayweather and <laughs> wife beating side or Conor McGregor, you know, all the other stuff he does to one side because they talk the talk, they walk the walk. And yes, you know, like, for example, Conor McGregor's, but, you know, lost a couple of times and people are even more eager to see him fail. That's human nature. If you, if you, if you don't talk it up and you're super humble, and you get beaten. Oh, what a good guy! He's so lucky. He tried his hard. If you're like, "Fuck you," I'm going to take over the world. You know, the Mac Daddy, all this kind of stuff. And then you get filled in. Everyone's like, "Ah, I told you, you're such a prick." And and that's why, like, it's interesting that, that, that someone like Khabib, Khabib is like, you know, hands down one of the best fighters you know that's ever been. What an absolute boy! But you know, does he have charisma? No. Does he have marketability? No. Is he that? You know, is that right? Is that the right thing? Well, that's another conversation. That's another yeah. bit of fact that we have to deal with what we have. And, you know, he, he doesn't have that. And, is you know, will he earn as much money as Conor McGregor? No. You know, will, will the purists and people love him and everything? I said, yes. But, you know, nine times out of ten, you're going to tune in to see Conor McGregor. Uh, you know, and, and most of those people want to see him get filled in. Most of the people just want to be part of the hype. And that is that is life in, a, in, in, in kind of a nutshell and how we do that. And But, 
people who aren't happy with themselves, that's why trolling such thing, aren't happy with themselves. They, they, they reflect and go after other people because they're not content and they want to chop people down. And actually, we do have a bit of tall poppy syndrome. You know, in America, if you do well, people want you to do well. In England, if you do well, we all want to fuck you up. We want to cut you down. We want, we want to break you. We want, we want to break you. And then we want to publish your mental breakdown online. We want to hound you. So ideally, you kill yourself or... We we live it, and then we want to build you back up again, and then we want to catch you out and fuck you up again, and that is Tyson and that's Fury, how we do it. Isn't it. Tyson Fury, Tyson Fury, Caroline Flack, whoever these people, you know, mm. name them all. You know, they, we want to we want to do it. We want to build you up, cut you down. I mean, things like Tyson Fury, like I admire Tyson Fury. You know, but again, you know, where people get so confused, it's, it's, you know, they combine, they, they come forward with their religious views, you know, the gay bashing and stuff. It's like fuck's sake. You know, how, how, when are we going to learn? Like, same with Israel Folau. It's like, by all means, have your beliefs. Be part of your, like, mad church thing where you read the exact letters, the, the letter of the law to, to the Bible. But, you know, it's just the fact that we, these people pick and choose these nuanced bits, you know, and they don't take into all account the stuff. And it's like, you know, I just, I find it, I find that all very, I find it very irritating as well. Why, you know, like, there's a bloke who used to be in Oxford Circus, used to stand there with a loudspeaker. And every time I walk, yeah. walk past, go, oh, if you know, you go, yeah, you, you know, you're a, you know, if you're not sinning, sorry, if you're not winning, you're sinning, you're a sinner, not a winner. I was like, looking at him, he goes, oh, your body's your career, but you're sinning. I was like, fine. That, that is the, you know, he has read the Bible and gone, right, I'm going to spread Lord's word. And he, and he feels like it's going to gateway, you know, he's going to go to heaven. That's fine. But when athletes and people in the public eye spout it and then just go, oh, it's just my religious beliefs, it's fine. It's just madness. Like he just ruined, he ruined, like he ruined it, but we've sort of, we've sort of brushed it under the carpet now because of his like, you know, mental health journey and everything else that, and it's good old Tyson Fury now, you know, just whatever yeah. you do, don't let him near pride in London. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you've obviously had a lot of practice and you can, you've built that mental uh, strength, I suppose, to deal with a lot of that stuff. I'd love to go back to, uh, it was Dr. Jill Owen, you said, wasn't it? Your, yeah. um sort of, what is she? Uh, psychologist? psychologist. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, she, I think she, but she does do a lot of stuff in sport, but yeah, I think it's just a general psychologist, I think. Yeah. So, you started in your in your teens when you did that. Yeah. Um, again, that's something that's quite probably at the time anyway. It was quite unique to do. And it's I think still at the time now. It's, yeah, it's still. Yeah. yeah, I did. Yeah, it's still at the time now. Um, unique because um, you know it's the one thing that people just don't do. I mean, you know, we leave. Well, you carry on. Sorry, I can interrupt you. But they, you no, know, right. it, for me, it's like a. It's the one side of the, of the of the of the coin that we just don't ever visit. Like most people, if I told you, listen, you'd be better at football if you wore these sneaks, if you ate this food, if you drank this drink, you do it. If I said, by the way, you'd probably thirty percent better if you spent talk to psychology, the mental side. You'd be like, where do I buy those trainers from? And you'd be like, and that's mm. that's everybody's, mm. and that and that is the standard. That's the standard thing. And I'm, you know, now everyone's getting sports science. You know, the path is narrowed, and people are getting as fit and strong as each other. Um, the one margin and area for development is the mental side. And it's still, yeah. you put a hand up in the change room. So I put a hand up in the change room all those years ago who was talking to a therapist. I'd probably be the only one. And I went there, mm-hmm. I went there purely because my godfather, it's my godfather's wife. We had a conversation um, and he said, I think you really benefit. I think she could help you performance. And I know, and I was like, oh no, no, I don't, I haven't got any problems. Like I have no, you know, no one's diddled me when I was younger. I've got no like drama. Um, and he went, no, it's just not about that. And it's, it was just purely about performance. And then as it emerged, it was like, actually, do you know what? I don't have a lot of confidence in myself, you know, when it comes to rugby and I, you know, take criticism badly and how do I deal with criticism? How do I deal with critical coaches? You know, how can I, you know, when you're playing 20 games a season, how do you prepare mentally for 20 games a season? If you're tired, if you're injured, if your missus is pissing you off, if you've fallen out with your family, whatever, how do you switch on? And all these little tools. That, that I that she taught me and it's something you have to hammer and go back and visualization how important visualization is you know that 
I think they 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 you know lock these prisoners up. They did visualization every day to prove their golf without playing. And when they came out, they each improved their handicap without ever doing it. All through you know re, you know special forces soldiers you know um, visualize the whole time what they're doing. You know just muscle memory. But we don't do it. You don't do it. Mm. But and, and that that for me is really really astounding. And and I got a lot of criticism from it. And I was seen as a bit odd. And when I opened up to coaches about it, they thought I was a head case. I, I, you know, and I just yeah, it's mad, it's really. It's the one common denominator with every single peak performer that's been on this podcast is that they give attention to the psychological side. Like they train their minds, they do the visualization, they do whether it's meditation or whatever practices. Yeah, they need exactly. To do to give themselves that. So now, look again. I think that's great. I'm, I'm fascinated to know what she asked you to do. What sort of stuff was she introducing to you to undertake in order to get a tougher mindset? Okay, so the, well, the first thing she did was was using music as a tool to change your mental state. So we know how important and, and emotive music is. You know, we've all, you know, walking out, felt, you know, have a, you know, sun shining, hear a tune. You're like, fucking hell, let's get on it, like that. You know, you know, or you're sitting in a car and you've had a breakup, and and you know, Magic FM comes off, comes on, and you want to drive into a wall. Do you know what I mean? Because it's all like love song. It's like it's like it's it's, it's hard. So you, so music has a lot of power for you, and. Um, it was utilizing music to change my state. So as soon as I put my tunes on pre-game, it was a carefully curated playlist, which made me feel, I was like, boom, now I'm in game mode. You know, it was utilizing notes. Um, it was utilizing notes on what I wanted to achieve in a game or in a performance or what I was trying to do. But also it was, it was, if I ever made errors, it was go back, it was go, it was going back and adjusting the process. So, you know, if I, so for example, if golf swing, tackle, you know, whatever, strike of the ball, there'll be elements that, that make up your process to executing that. And once you have been given or guided or seen an expert that says, right, this is how you to do it, you know what to do. So when you reflect and miss a tackle, you can go back and see which part of your process was missing. Oh, I didn't chase my feet enough. My head wasn't in close enough. I didn't have my eyes on the man. I ducked too low. If any one of those isn't right, that when you go and practice, you go, you A, physically go and practice those things with immaculate process or as best you can, but then you visualize your process and things where, you know, you can do it quite quickly. So I broke my tackling down to um, – in my head, I, I just remember it now. I haven't played for it, but I was thinking about my eyes, where my eyes went, where my feet went, um, and to attack, right? And that was my last thing. And so if I, in a game, I'd be thinking, you know, like I, or, or I associate myself, sorry, knees. I think knees would drop my height because I'm thinking about the knees, chase my feet, knees, chase my feet. And that's all I would think about. And that was the process. And then you then take that onto like a visualization. So I'm sitting here in a chair, I'd set my phone for like two minutes, close my eyes, think about tackles in my head. And if the mm. tackle in my head didn't go right, because you've got opposing forces going, you'll fuck up, miss it. You then you then think back about that negative tackle, redo it in your head to make it look good. You know, in a game, if you're like worried about dropping the ball, you know, I go back and think of my head, the feeling of the ball coming to my hands, I mean, catching it and those kind of things. And you visualize that. I did that before games, did that on the bus. I utilized watching highlight reels on myself to build confidence, to show that I'd already done it. Because a lot of self-doubt, people are like, oh, I'm never going to do this, never going to achieve that. If you're starting out and it's day one, so if you're 17, and I remember the first meeting, she said, right, can you tell me a time when you felt like you played well? Mm. I was like, no, mm. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. Obviously, as we went through the process and worked through it, there were games that were like set in stone, like concrete markers that were irre irremovable. So if everybody else calls you a prick, you're shit, you can, there's an undeniable game that you did well. If you, if you, you know, if you've done a podcast, people are like, why are you podcast mate? But there's an episode where you absolutely killed it, which got a critical claim. You can't take that away. And it's like those milestones that's really mentally important um, for me. And I think those those work really well. 
I think, um, like I said, being very present um, in the in the moment, dealing with things, and w- only worrying about things you can't control. Sorry, only worrying about things you can control was a really important one. So, you can't control how your coach talks to you. You can't control your coach's opinion of you. You can only do what you can do, and if they still don't like you, there's nothing to do with you. Uh, you can only work as hard as you can. You can't make yourself get picked. You can't. You can only put yourself in the right position to do that, and that's all you can do. Um, and you can't write make the media. Um, you know, like you, but you can only put the best version of yourself and stay strong. And as soon as you start going, oh, but so-and-so doesn't like me, I never get any endorsement deals and the media fucking hate me. You've got to sit back, check yourself, go, hold on a minute, I don't control any of that. What have I done this week? Have I put my work in? Yes. Have I eaten well? Yes. Have I slept well? Yes. Have I, have I visualized? Yes. Have I done my process? Yes. Have I developed my mind? Yes. Have I done all these things? Yes. Then that's what you can do. But if the answer to any one of those is no, then, then you haven't done what you're supposed to do, and you go back to the beginning. You do it all again, and that's and that's how you do it. But a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't, you know, I just can't build this. I can't build a YouTube channel. I like I, my YouTube channel is the slowest growing thing I've got, which really fucks me off because I really like making content. But but I, my answer thing for it is is that um, and the reason is, is that I don't do what you're supposed to do on YouTube. Consistent weekly content, you know, three different pieces of content, hero content, filler content, something else, you know, over one particular subject, hammer it out all the time. So I've only got myself to blame. So when you're like, oh, my YouTube channel's not growing, I think to myself, well, you've only got yourself to blame. So shut up. Have you done anything you're supposed to do? No. And that's the kind of talk you've got to have. And all those little bits are certainly the top line things that she she taught me. That's brilliant. It, like hearing what the internal dialogue is. What what was the self-doubt that you had? Like what were the I just never I just didn't think I was very good. I just think I was very good at rugby. I thought I'd make mistakes. I didn't think I just didn't think I um you know uh I had much confidence in the way I was going to play. I didn't have you know I didn't I you know even when I played well all I would think about was the negatives. You know, if someone's, you know, if someone said something really nice, all I think about was the bad comments. Um, you know, I didn't believe I, I, I should be there. I thought I was going to get found out. I didn't think I could tackle properly. I cat. I, all these, all these things that just came around in your, in your head. It's just a constant fight. And for even part, even when I was older, in large part, in part of my career, I. I was shying away from doing things in games. I didn't want to make mistakes. I was, I was, you know, terrified of making mistakes. And. Um, it meant that uh, you know, and I, I had to have a talk with myself. And actually, had a good mate of mine, Travis Allen, who's a, who's a fitness guy who I started to train with, who did some therapy stuff. He's talked about in the book called Muscle Activation. Um, and it was only because he's a Kiwi, and all Kiwis think they know more about rugby than anyone else. But he actually he is a real keener and knows what he's talking about. Um, you know, sat down with me and was like, "Watch a game with me." He goes, "What are you doing here? Why are you not getting the ball here? Why are you running here? What are you doing?" And he hit me with some home truths, and it was really kind of me, for me to go shit you know he's actually right again you can lie to everyone else but you can't lie to yourself and sometimes you mate who you hasn't played professional rugby starts telling you this stuff you want to go fuck off mate what do you know what are you, what are you talking about but i had to have a moment because like really i got under my skin i went away and then i just called him up and i was like do you know what you're right you're right you know um and i need to go away and work on that and that was down to me not me being scared about making mistakes so what i tried to do then is think about every game was a highlight reel I need. I want to have highlight real moments. How do I want to be remembered? If, if I have to stop playing tomorrow and I was like, oh, being safe and not making mistakes and doing everything, do I remember that guy or do I want to be remembered as the guy that, that had the highlight reel? And that's the same approach I think I've taken into life. Is like, do I want to be safe? Do I want to be vanilla? Do I not want to do this? Or do I want to have a highlight reel? And the answer is a highlight reel. So you can now tell, you can turn around and say to me, I'm a published author, published music producer, Attempted cage fighter, you know, a sit, you know, one four, month, month out from the first fight got cancelled. But I've been in the cage about fucking forty times, you know, and had a load of tear ups. You know, have I been a professional rugby player? Yes. Have I travelled around the world? Yes. Have I do I do corporate speaking? Yes. Do I, I done? 
there isn't like a bop. You know, do I DJ? Am I DJ in front of five thousand people and headline? Yes. No, like I've done all these things, and so many of them are like set in mark and set in stone. So, you know, I, I have the same confidence issues with DJ. You know, like Chloe, my wife, but like, what's wrong now? But like, fucking did DJ. Well, I'm not very good, and, and you know, and I hate it. But then I've had moments where I've absolutely killed it, and there's no, there's no, there's no denying, and that's where you drive your confidence from. But it doesn't mean I don't walk around going after I made a mistake and fuck. You know, oh shit at DJ. I don't know why I bother. Like, I'm not very good. I'm never going to make it and everything else. And then you have to just pull yourself together and get on. Yeah, that's brilliant, man. Those those achievements are, are outstanding. It's, it sounds like just listening to what you were saying at the beginning of that bit was it's like the classic imposter syndrome, which I think we all deal with, right? On on different levels depending yeah. on, on where you've been. You've you've been brave enough to push through that a lot of the time, by the sounds of it. And um, when you're saying the highlight reel, my dad used to say to me your life, your life museum. So you get to the end of it and you can visualize yourself walking down the corridor, what the picture is going to be of the things that you've done in your life. So creating those moments for yourself. I love that. I love that. It's a great analogy that, you know? Mm. Yeah. So I, I try and think about that a lot. So yeah, as I was saying, your, your achievements that you just sort of listed off there are outstanding, mate. How do you set goals around doing these sort of things? I've, I've recently had a chat with someone actually about whether, whether we're goal setting or intention setting because mm. And I might be, tell me if, if this sounds ridiculous or not, because it's just something that I thought about recently. But we set goals and, and a lot of times we set these goals because we want the emotions that are elicited from achieving them. So it might be going on a British Lions tour or something. You want that because you feel, maybe in your case, oh, I am like validated as a rugby player. I am one of the best players in the world, you know. Mm. So, I, I, you know, I used to set goals, whether it was, um, you know, material things or financial things, because I thought they were the things that were important. But then when you get them, the emotions you know don't make you don't feel good at all in fact yeah. i felt really unfulfilled so i've started being more more intention setting and everything all of my intentions around emotions like i want to feel happy i want to feel joyful i want to feel playful like all these things that you know make you feel happy so yeah just interested whether you do the same like getting in front of thousands of people or whatever it is oh listen i completely agree with it i think it's a really good point of view i think i'm perpetually unfulfilled which is my biggest downside of being in a a fresh run player i didn't value what i had while i had it because i was always on the pursuit of being better and and that's every area of my life always you know i was always like on to the next thing how can i get better you know trying to battle that you know confidence and also negativity around that i could have done better you know and if you're focused on negativity it makes you want to work harder or sometimes it breaks you sometimes it makes you want to hurt for me it always wanted to make me work harder so i've always been unfulfilled so i've achieved these moments and probably not appreciated them in retirement i try to celebrate these these um these moments and really kind of enjoy them i think it's interesting because i i was talking to a um a new kind of therapist that i was do, doing some work with because obviously transition out of rugby is hard and all those other elements and one thing he said you're either running from something or running towards something and he goes you're either running away because you want to prove this prove that show people like you just said or you're actually going towards something that you actually really enjoy and want to do and i like I, you know, I was very financially driven. A lot of stuff I'm financially driven, and, and I've made some good money. Not, you know, not not enough to retire on. But I've had those moments. You know, I, I you know, I, I had a Ferrari. I got a Ferrari, and I was like, this is amazing. And I drove it around for a bit, and I was like, I actually don't give a shit about that. Like I'm like, I don't, I don't, you know, if the best thing about it is your car, then what's the point? Like you know, and, and it's like I like it. And it's right. Like, we can't drive that fast. You most like to kill yourself. So I, I thought, well, you know, why have I got that? And it's the same thing. I actually actually value is travel is eating great food, drinking great, you know, wine or whatever in really cool settings. And those emotions are surrounded by that emotions, going to see friends and enjoying things. Uh, and I, and I, you know, and I enjoy technology, but I also enjoy the elation of performing. 
And and you know, I'm everything I do is about performance. I'm a huge show off, or so my wife tells me. And and it's basically everything I do now is stuff that I want to do, and it's all around centered around performance so the afternoon speaking is performance the djing is performance content creation is performance podcasting is performance and entertainment and that's what i that's what i want to do and those are things i value you know i don't you know i, I try you know i try to get myself i'm wearing one of those whoop bands that apple watch i try you know my mates all got nice watches i had a nice watch i don't wear it i don't wear it because i don't care about like i want to like i see someone i go fuck i really wish i could save up and i get that you know hublot or that that um you know that uh, ap or whatever and then I'm like, actually, why would I want to spend that amount of money and have it on my own? What's the, what is the point? And I think, obviously, if you start getting to like hundreds of millions of territory and you start like having more money than God, then you can do all those kind of things. It doesn't matter. It doesn't touch the sides. But for me, to spend 20 grand on a watch would be a lot of money. And, it, and it's just some of those things that are a bit stupid. And, I, and I, I think you're exactly right. I think people need to focus on what they actually want, not what they think they want. And understanding that, you know, the old adage that sort of goes that you know you know money doesn't make you happy or won't bring you happiness i mean look first of all I'll, let me be the judge of that we'll have a good go at it let's, <laughs> let's let's earn it and then turn around and say that it doesn't make you happy it yeah. fixes a lot of problems that you have that, that a lot of normal people don't have that's why it's always interesting when people win the lottery as a couple and the more often than not they break up because the one thing that mm -hmm. united the people was the struggle and the grind to get through life and they were united in that when you take that away you actually have to get to know the person you're with and you're not in the grind that's why they all sort of you know fall apart because they're actually like, oh god we don't have any problems and what the hell were we doing together and we don't, I don't even you know and that's what i think is quite interesting from a psychological point of view but i i, I definitely think you're right intentions as to what you want to experience because life is about experiences mm -hmm. and you know there's been some good there's been some good moments but i would certainly always say try to do what you love and sometimes it's not always easy but we are often confined by think by perception that we can't do it and i have in retirement gone along those paths you know i wanted to make music i love doing it I, I teamed up with my my music production guy alex grover from because of art you know we've done five tracks so far together um you know the the, the book writing you know I, I a lot of stuff the feedback i got from what flanker was what we're talking about today was mindset so i've written ten thousand words of another book on mindset that i want to put out right. there. um and I, I enjoy those moments i you know sitting down having a flat white and enjoying those moments is, is important yes i like you know, by technology. So if you're going to waste money, I waste money on cameras and drones and fucking things. But I try to use them all for what I'm doing. Um, and I get good I get good feeling about unboxing stuff. But you are exactly right. And we are, you know, goals. You know, I, I want to DJ in, you know, DC10. I want to DJ in the, in the Wild Room at High. And, I, you know, in, in Ibiza. Those are some real, like, goals. Why? Because I know I had a fucking good time doing it. And that's <laughs> the feeling I want. And, and I think it's more the feeling than necessarily the, the kudos of doing it. But, sometimes you if you're lucky to be doing performance stuff you get both of them kind of combined yeah. Do you know what i mean yeah yeah oh, absolutely yeah you get the you get the feeling the satisfaction for yourself and you also get the pat on the back from everyone who enjoys exactly. it as well um it's interesting you're saying it yeah it's, it's back to that that moments again you know that that lifetime museum and um with regards to material things i heard tyson would talk about tyson fury again but i heard tyson fury saying how really articulately put as well actually which surprised me but he said that nothing's ever ours it's all borrowed and, and, and when we die it just hangs around goes somewhere else or gets left behind or lost or whatever else so it might be a strange one but i wonder when you were happy you, you said there you had you had a you had a ferrari in your book you talked about was it was it was it an astra or something that you drove around at the yeah 
when were you happier driving the Astra or the Ferrari? Oh, because well, I was single when I had the Astra and I was doing all sorts of bits in the Astra. So <laughs> I said, if the Astra could talk, the Astra would be screaming. So um, yeah. I'm not saying I'm not happily married now. I mean, there were different times. I think, no, look, I, I think um, sometimes we have these moments. So I used to know Jamie Roberts, the Welsh player, whenever he achieved something, he bought himself a watch. So, you know, for win a Six Nations Grand Slam, win a club thing, whatever, he would mark it. And I thought that's quite a nice thing. You know, I'd always said I wanted to have a supercar. I always wanted to say, I couldn't afford to buy one. I, right, I, did my, I got a mate who's a wizard on finance and I, and I got one. And I was like, um, you know, for me, that was important. That was a mark. That was like a feeling associated. That was important. That was like, do you know what? I've made all those all those times were hard, you know, everything else. But it's it's but then obviously the novelty wears off, and then you you've got a car, you're like, fuck, you know what? Can't drive that half the time. You're in England, you know, it's not that sunny. It, it it's just seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, and but it was more for the feeling than it was for the car. You know, I like driving fast, but you can't, you know, you can't can't do that. And if you get caught, you know, for me, you get caught get caught speeding, they're just gonna hammer you, take your license away, and, else, and then you'll breathe about yourself in the daily mail. And, and people, you know, then wait until people get oh, again. Again, again. And people, how, how shocked people are, you fucking idiot, road safety, you mug. And you're like, it's not worth it. So I think you're right. But 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 that car in particular had some had some emotional thing for me but it was it was a symbol of it not the pra- actual practical nature of it and again it comes down to what we said it's the the emotion attached to these moments but yeah i i do you know since, yeah, i do value just you know spending time with good people enjoying interactions and things and tyson view is right you know like um kind of you know things and commodities and everything else that like they do they all do just just you know sort of pass away but some things they they are milestone for things that they want to you want to have and want to do uh, and mark certain moments but i think we're, we're much human emotion is much better that's what we strive to do so much for is to get the emotion out of it but i i certainly know that all the performance stuff i do gives me that emotion of happiness fun i love making people laugh i love being the center of attention and that kind of works quite nicely yeah i've uh I've actually got a Rolex and I got a, I took a lot of heat from it when I was uh I was speaking at a mental health event last year. Oh, yeah. I was getting hammered for, for having this having this Rolex on. But why? And again, it's I d I don't know. I don't know. We just well, didn't work hammering, well. They were hammering and going, Oh come on, mate, you can't talk here rolling with your Rolex and shit. Yeah, basically. <laughs> what you said what people with mental, mental, mental health aren't allowed to have fucking Rolexes, are they? I'll be recurring. <laughs> I'd love that. I'd love that. Yeah. We, we'd just done a, a workout as part of the, the whole event. So we trained together first, and I, I left the watch on for the workout. So maybe I was getting a bit of stick for that. Yeah. Maybe, well, um, I mean, maybe. I yeah. But, um, but yeah, for me, like you were saying there, it's not about the watch itself. That was the first jo- job I got in the city. The very first commission check I got that was big enough, I went and treated myself as a bit of a reward. So yeah. it's the, it, it represents something. Um, Hask, I'd love to hear about performance. You spoke about how, that's what makes you happy and feel those emotions, right? And you've done it in so many different categories. Is there any similarities or or patterns or formulas that work in, you know, whether it's DJ and playing rugby or any of the other stuff you do, content creation and, and, and everything across the board that you apply to all of them? Uh, it, do you know what it is? It, it, it's, I enjoy what I do. So, so it's, it's it's the light-hearted side. It's me having fun doing it. I think sometimes it's assuming a role. So, you know, if we're filming content, it's being... Um, you know, I depend on what mood I'm in. It's being funny and kind of irreverent, you know, with the, with the, with the corporate stuff, it's about delivering a message, how I would want to deliver it, but also having fun and humor. And I think, I think humor links everything that I do. And that's, that's really important for me. It's, it's being, it's, I think it's, it's making people laugh is what I always want to do. The DJing stuff's different because the DJ, but you're seeking reaction. 
you know, and our DJ has such a technical aspect. It's the fulfillment for me of getting it right and actually executing a skill. And that that's important. I think humor and skill execution is something that I really enjoy. Mm. And, you know, even when, even a simple thing as playing darts or beer pong or something like that, just the very fact you nail it. I take such joy from getting that right or learning a new skill and executing it. And that's that, you know, I'm always trying to learn new stuff. I'm doing like three courses at the moment online and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's taking it in, learning it, remembering it and executing it. That gives me a lot of fulfillment. But that, um, that last cup in beer pong feels good though, doesn't it? When you get that. Right, mate. Great. Especially when you stitch your mate, mate says you're shit and you can never get it. And you're just like, <laughs> seeing you straight in your head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it's fair to say just from what you were saying there, then, you know, you start to say at the beginning that the, the, the commonality is just being yourself in all of them. That allows you to, to perform you being yourself. Yeah. Um, I've heard it say that who you, who you truly are is who you are when you're by yourself. Yes. And, you know, we all have these online personas or even when you're running out in an England rugby shirt, you're, you're still, you know, you're representing a, a team and a, and a country actually at, at that point as well. Um, Again, maybe a strange one, but who who is James Haskell when... When, when the lights when are out. When the, when the lights are out. When, when the social media is off and the lights are out. Um, I, yeah. would say, <laughs> I would say um, I am quite quiet, um, quite intense, I wouldn't say I'm the, I'm, I'm the same barrel as laughs as I normally am. I think my wife always complains that she gets a different version. Everyone else gets the fun version. She gets a shit version of me. Um, uh, but I'm very happy in my own company, like really happy. You know, some people are, you know, like you meet comedian. I'm not saying I'm a comedian, but, you know, I, I always wanted to do stand-up. But but they, um, they're they quite depressive. You know, they, 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 they play the clown and then they act as the sad clown off. I'm not really like that. I'm sort of just quite content in my own space. Um, I have to be taught. I have to be task orientated. I have to fulfill like I'm doing something. I don't rest very easily. I don't uh, switch off very easily. Um, but I derive simple pleasures from, you know, from simple things. That, and I'm a bit, cause I think I've got like, uh, ADD or attention deficit sort. I can't, you know, I tried, it's just a struggle to focus on one thing. So I'll start a project, do something else, come back to it. But that's me really. Um, and I, you know, and I'll sit and work for hours just uninterrupted. So it's quite, it's quite nice. Yeah, that's great. I think we all have both extra and introvert, don't we? Some people categorise people as an extrovert, but it's not true. We all have both. Well, Russell, Russell Kane told me, grow an ambivert who does a bit of everything, and I'm 100% okay. that. I'm 100% that. Yeah. I'm 100%. If, if there's a crowd, I'm in. I'm you know, close off, front of the stage, talking shit. If there's nobody, <laughs> I don't need people. I don't need to talk to people. I don't need to speak to people. I just sit quietly, get on with stuff, do stuff, go for a dog for a walk. You know, I love audio books. You know, my favorite part of the day is I take the dog for a walk. Uh, if it's like after you know, later on in the day or training or day off, take a cigar, take the dog, put my headphones in, listen to an audio book. Um, you take the dog for a walk, train him, just chill, unwind. You know, I love that. Mm. It's just funny how often it comes back to the simple things, isn't it? I remember when I, I got asked that, what's the favorite thing you do? It was coffee on a Sunday morning and and either watching match of the day or, you know, just something really simple. Yeah, that's why I don't, I'm not a big gamer, but I, um, you know, I do have a, like a, an Xbox and if I really want to unwind, I just put on something where I go around shooting people and I just really enjoy it. I just put stuff. <laughs> the only problem is that time flight, I get like, a, you just sit there and you're like, oh my God, three hours gone by. Um, but I very rarely do that. That's only if I really want to switch off. Mate, this has been absolutely brilliant. I've, I've, I've loved it. We, um, we do the same three questions at the end of every episode. They're just sort of quick fire. Okay. Give listeners something tangible to take away and apply into their life. So the first of these three is, 
I think I know the answer to this already, actually, but is there anything you're particularly excited about that you've either discovered or come across or created recently? Oh, am I well, my my the music stuff that I've I, that I've I'm really excited about. My new track, Make You Feel, is on pre-order. I don't know when this goes out, but it, it still probably will be. Um, that's really exciting for me. I think um, there's something else I discovered that I'm doing a course on called RPR. It's called um, reflexive performance reset and it's the most interesting thing i've seen in terms of like your your body it's rubbing certain areas of your body but it helps release muscles it's bizarre it i'm actually doing a course in it and, and of all the stuff that people try to flog flog me and sell me it's a game changer and, and like i i'll do it do it to my mates and they'll go from not being able to touch their toes to touch their toes in 10 minutes and it's the funniest fucking thing we burst out laughing <laughs> like how do you do it and i uh, it's all to do with your um your nervous system and everything else. It's so super interesting. So those two things I think are really kind of floating my boat at the moment. That's a great one. RPR, you said? RPR, Performance Reflective, okay. um, Reflective Performance Reset, it's called. It's basically based on kinesiology from South Africa. These Americans have rebranded it. Mate, honestly, game changer. Like I, my, oh. a, a new trainer I started training with, a guy called Marco Finney, did it for me. Uh, our first session, I thought he was mad. I was like, oh my God, who is this bloke? Like, I'm gonna, this is, ter- and, <laughs> mate, honestly, it's mental. All right, I'm going to have to have a look at that. That's brilliant. Second one of these is, if you had to recommend one habit or routine that's going to drive everyone's performance who's listening along to this, it could be something to do in a morning routine or, or weekly or whatever it could, whatever you choose, but one habit or routine for everyone to try, what would it be? I would say, um, actually, first of all, creating a routine and putting things down on a to-do list is a really simple, tangible way of going, you know what, so you know, we, we, as humans, we seek structure and actually putting a structure to your life is, is super simple. So if you, you know, you wait, it's, if you wake up, try to wake up at the same time every day, you know, uh, set yourself, I'm going to train, I'm going to eat, and this is what I'm going to do. And then have a, I have a notebook and I constantly just doing right to twos, crossing it out, getting shit done and you feel more centered. Uh, and I would say one more thing is make your bed. I'll tell you why I make your bed. If all else around you is, is failing and you're falling apart, you've had a shit day, uh, you're coming back to a made bed. And if you've done nothing else all day, then at least you've made your bed. And who doesn't like lying in a made bed? And that's, it's the simplest tool. Every morning I do it. And if all if I somehow wasted my day falling out, at least I come back to a made bed, which always feels great. And if I've done loads of things, then you're still getting a made bed. And if I've done nothing, then I've done one thing because I made my bed. <laughs> it's great. It's funny. We're, we're quite predictable beings, really, aren't we? Like the, We're talking about the emotions, and that's what we we search for. But discipline makes us happy, doesn't it? A made bed makes us happy. So made bed, discipline makes us happy. Yeah, really happy. <laughs> <laughs> Last one of these is one trait that allowed you to reach the level of performance in all you've done. Do you know what it was? It's, it was it's dedication um, and and like the, the hard work to it. Not not simple hard work. It was It was like... Uh, you know, preparing to work and sacrifice when others prepare, weren't prepared to do it is putting the extra work in. So, you know, if I had, if you had a meeting or a training session, you know, from from you know three to four, I'm still out there four thirty break, and I broke down every area. And you can do it in corporate world. You can do it in any anything you do is an execution of a skill or a life thing. Is is break it down, work out the process, and practice the core skills that make up that that process. And that's the that's what you put the time, and that's the recipe for success. Uh, in anything you know if you want to be the best corporate person then you need to read around a subject you need to speak to people to do it better than you do get some tips get some tricks get some understanding of what you need to do and execute it out of hours you know if you want to be a better footballer there's no point just going to training sessions it's what you spend your time doing outside you know how many you know like david beckham they joke you know how many free kicks did that bloke take you know there's no there's no miracle it's just he absolutely hammered it hammered it hammered it hammered it hammered it and uh, i think that's my one key the thing i think yeah brilliant Hask, thank you so much mate I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it what a way to end on that bit of advice as well and the last episode in the season 
Thanks for having me. I loved it. I really appreciate you having me on. Obviously, I'm in, against uh, or up with an incredible alumni of, 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 of guests, so I really appreciate you having me on. There it is, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for all of your support throughout Season 11. I loved that episode and feel it was such a great way to wrap up the season. Thank you so much to Hask for all of his stories, his advice and his energy throughout that conversation. We spoke about so much and I hope that's benefited you guys in some way. Something I thought was particularly fascinating was hearing about judgment and specifically what Hask spoke about was people who might have weight issues. And something I heard recently which was interesting is how we can establish the difference between judgment and discernment discernment being to accurately judge. And this is what Hask was touching on when he was talking about the science behind someone perhaps being overweight. So discernment would be talking about statistics, BMI, body fat percentage, which leads to accurate judgment of certain circumstances rather than emotionally led judgment of people out of jealousy, leading often to unnecessary comments and generally negativity. A distinction I thought it was worth mentioning. I know trolling and hate online is getting worse and worse, it would seem. And I generally think we should stick to the rule of staying in our own lane, allowing others to be themselves and focusing on our own development. Anyway, enough of that. I am now in the process of scheduling guests for the next season, season 12, which will be dropping in May. And it's big. I won't name anyone just yet, but the guests are amazing. The conversations that I've already had have been fascinating and possibly some of the most eye-opening chats I've had to date. We'll be kicking off in May, which coincides with Mental Health Awareness Week. So the first couple of episodes are gonna have a focus on mental health. And these stories are stories you won't have heard anywhere else. So I feel very grateful to be able to share them with you on TakeFly. In the meantime, before then, I'll be dropping some more Peak Performance Practices episodes. I haven't decided just yet what those are gonna be, but I plan to share at least two coaching practices myself and hopefully one or two guided sessions by other experts in their fields. Again, thank you so much for the support. If there's any feedback, positive or negative, I'd be very grateful to hear it. You can either rate and review the podcast on Apple or DM me on Instagram at markwittle underscore TF. I'm always looking for ways to improve and your feedback would be greatly appreciated. I really hope you've enjoyed this season as much as I have. It's been amazing to speak with such fantastic people and amazing to share those stories with you. I wish you all the very best in the coming weeks. And until we speak again, stay positive, stay motivated and take flight.